0: Every day, traders and investors dive in to tackle the ever-changing markets to find opportunity. Futures Radio Show is your number one source for answers to the questions that all market participants want to ask. Veteran futures trader Anthony Crudelli sits down with the most influential leaders and top traders in the industry. Now, here's your host, Anthony Crudelli. What's up, everybody? Anthony Crudelli here, and thank you for tuning in for this episode with Raggy Horner. Futures Radio Show is sponsored by CME Group, the world's leading and most diverse futures and options exchange. CME Group's markets help individuals and businesses around the world effectively manage risk. For access to free educational tools and resources for the active individual trader, please visit activetrader.cmegroup.com. Remember, new shows are posted on Mondays and Thursdays, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a review on iTunes. This show is also sponsored by Trading Technologies, FTSE Russell, and RJO Futures. To learn about some of the great offers that these sponsors have for our listeners, please visit futuresradioshow.com slash sponsors. Today I spoke with the Managing Director of Futures Trading at Simpler Trading, my friend Raggy Horner. Raggy's awesome. We kicked off today's show discussing adapting to the current trading environment, how Raggy keeps her same strategy but modifies the time horizon in which she's executing in based off of the feedback from the market. We had a great discussion on how her and I use macro themes alongside our technical analysis for short-term day trading. Last but not least, we did a rapid-fire segment of the markets that Raggy's trading, and she tells us if she's bullish, bearish, or neutral based on the technical or macro themes. And we discussed the importance of constantly developing your edge as a trader. So without further ado, let me take you right to the interview with Raggy. Now, you've been on the podcast before, and we covered a lot about your style and strategy. And for those new to the podcast, or maybe didn't catch that one with you and I, if you didn't go and check it out, it's uh, on our website. Give everybody a quick overview of your style
1: and strategy. You got it. You know, it's interesting. You and I have spoke every year. This will be the third year in a row. And it's, it's interesting to look back at that first podcast and where I was talking a lot about trending markets and how to identify trending markets and, and really being respectful of, of different sort of Dow theory, you know, making sure we know the difference between an uptrend and those transitions and the uptrend like distribution and the tools that I use to do that. And then fast forward to you and I talking now, it's actually a perfect time because with everything that's going on, I've been shortening my timeframe. I haven't been as committed to longer term. And more than ever, probably since I started trading, I'm kind of going back to looking at volume and time and volatility in a way that almost, well, it does. It supplants what I see on the charts. So a little less technical and a little bit more in terms of volume, volatility, and time. So it's a perfect, perfect time to talk with you.
0: So you said that you were shortening your time frame. We talk about adapting as traders all the time. What's the reason behind you shortening your time frame?
1: Shortening the time frame for me is going to be really a reflection <clears throat> of how little I think some trends could continue or how infrequently they come back to correction levels from which I can control risk. I mean, there's plenty of trends in this market, but being able to get in at a level that I feel that I have an edge and can control risk has been few and far between. They're, they've been happening. But few and far between. So in between that time, I've found that to take advantage of some of the great volatility intraday, I'm going back to a lot of my short-term, you know, call it day trading in in currencies and in futures. And it's been it's been really good to go home flat, especially with a lot of the uncertainty, whether that be, you know, news like coronavirus, whether that be the the year that we were pounded by trade war narrative, or or even just the lack of any ref- any respect for macro, I feel really good going home flat most days.
0: I always talk about knowing the environment in which your strategies work well in, knowing the environment your strategies don't work well in. And you recognized for your strategy, I'm speaking for you, obviously correct me if I'm wrong, that you don't have the same conviction of holding a trade for longer right now because of this type of environment. So it suits it better to be trading it in a shorter term.
1: I think that's really accurate. I think a lot of traders have strategies that they can chop in. They have strategies that they can trend follow in. They might have breakout, breakdown strategies. I think all of us probably have them. We know the tools that are associated with them and we can execute them. And yet somehow we're all wired so individually, so uniquely that we tend to gravitate towards one, maybe two of them. So for me, I found out very early on, I like trends. Trends are the most forgiving market. Uh, they give me the most margin for error. They're the most predictable if you want to look at them, relatively speaking. So even when I'm looking at a one minute chart of the S&P, I'm still trend following, but I'm trend following individual one minute slices of psychology. And if I'm long the equities markets say the S&P on a daily it's the same it's the same technique really the time frame is really all that's changing and of course how much price movement i can anticipate and then also what my risk and reward is potentially going to be
0: i think that's such an important point i mean you're using the same strategy but because you're noticing things that on the longer term stuff may not suit this environment you take your time frame down, but you don't change your style and you don't change your strategy.
1: You nailed it. You nailed it. That's exactly right. So I think a lot of folks think there's a day trading strategy, but I think there's certain nuances to day trading. You know, time, volatility, the beginning of the market opening, um, the as the market winds down, you know, financial centers around the world. There are nuances that a one-minute trader is going to notice that, say, a daily time frame, or even a weekly time frame, trader is not even going to notice. It's not even going to ping on their their sonar, if you will. So you're exactly right. I think ultimately what we have to decide is what we're willing to risk. And in the most basic way, larger time frames do entail more risk, more reward too, but they entail more risk. And if I don't feel that the follow through is going to be there, I'll shorten the time frame and I'll look for smaller more day trading oriented follow through. And again, that's the best way I know to hit a target while maintaining some kind of risk control.
0: Yeah, because I think that too many traders have what what a lot of us call on social media is strategy drift, right? This isn't working. So let me just go and do a, a whole new strategy. And you and I are very similar in this manner that I notice times where my 60-minute strategy, that's pretty much the longest I trade on is that time frame, is the best time frame to be trading on versus other times where I have to shrink it down and and trade, let's just say, even a five-minute time frame for my charts because that's better suited for that environment. And this is why you and I say a a lot is you really need to know your strategy. You need to, to know the strengths and weaknesses of it because you need to become a better executor of your strategy, you can 't just rely on that same strategy on the same time frame I think uh, because m- markets are going to change different environments uh, and and you 've been able to do that so let's let 's talk about what you are trading. Give us the rundown
1: you got it, so kind of just to touch on your last point, which I love. I think the best analogy for that, and if, if traders are kind of having a difficult time maybe conceptualizing, well, that sounds good, Anthony and Raggi, but you guys have been at this for decades. You know, this is my first year, third year, fifth year. I think almost everybody understands baseball. And I think everybody understands that each pitcher is going to present a different kind of pitch, different strengths. And we're the hit hitter in the, in the analogy, you know, we're looking for our pitch coming from that pitcher. And if we don't see that pitch, there's not much for us to do. And that's the discipline of a great baseball hitter. I think that's for me, the discipline of a great hitter. So what am I swinging at literally right now in the market as a hitter? So, you know, if I can find a trend, um, whether that be short or long term, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I'm doing a lot of day trading right now. But longer term, I'm still committed to probably a lot of the things that you and I spoke about you know, last June. And so, I mean, this is a pretty longer term commitment. I'm still long gold. I'm still long bonds. And uh, for two reasons, one being the, uh, the expansion of the balance sheet again by the Federal Reserve last uh, July, August. And then just the technical, the structure of the uptrend. I'm still, generally speaking, along the averages. Uh, S&P, NASDAQ mostly, Dow a little gingerly, and probably the least of which, uh, the Russell.
0: So you and I are also similar in that we look at macro themes, but we make our decisions, how we manage our risk, is through technicals. And we're aware of the macro, but we go to the charts for the information to be able to to execute. So I would like for you just to explain to everybody because you did just mention some macro themes that you're looking at how do you approach using macro alongside with your technical even though like you said you're shorting your time frame because i think a lot of people are like well if you're trading a shorter time frame what do you need to know macro for
1: oh terrific terrific question i think that if we're day trading, is macro going to make its way into my analysis if I'm looking for a, a clearing range breakout or, or some sort of, you know, hourly price movement range exhaustion? You know, probably not. You know, prob- I'm, I'm going to rec- uh, recognize that the economic events that on a rate of change basis shape macro. You know, those events are going to be released, you know, are 830 or 9 or 10 o'clock economic releases, and that's going to create volatility that I'm going to have to trade through or choose not to trade through. So day trading wise, it will probably give me a directional bias. Like right now, I don't want to day trade to the short side. I'd rather pass on those days where my day trades trigger short and just wait for pretty much long day trades because that just from a probability standpoint since October for me has been working better. On the longer term timeframes, we get out to dailies. You know, it's it, it's so right what you say. When we go take a macro theme, or even a news theme, or even a psychological theme, and we go back to the charts. I think you and I go back to the charts for the same reason, which is the market can absolutely choose to ignore a macro theme. I mean, we've been ignoring a slowdown in the ISM below 50 for for months now. We've been, you know, we've been ignoring earnings on a rate of change basis, slowing down now for probably at least three quarters. Uh, We've been ignoring the GDP getting down to the, you know, single digit, you know, number one or I mean, 1% or less. So so number one, we're ignoring macro. I think the overall psychology of the market is, yeah, everything's awful, but the Fed's going to save us. And we kind of can point our finger back to it with the expansion of the balance sheet in July and August. So that's not a buy trigger for me, but it definitely gives me a buy environment. So a few things
0: I want to talk about here is for me the macro on the shorter term why i like it is because why i follow it and and read a lot about it is because my worst days are trend days right a, a day where the market just keeps going up and it goes through every resistance level or a day where it keeps going down and it goes through every support level i trade both sides of the market a lot not as much anymore but my reasoning why i started reading macro and learning more about it was because I noticed that those trend days were the days where the macro themes coincided with the technicals. And I wasn't aware, or not that I really wasn't aware of the macro theme happening that day. I mean, obviously there was a headline or a data point or something, but I would be stepping in front of that at my support or my resistance just because there was something on the chart telling me that. And going back to what you said is exactly the way I, I, I approach it now because I started getting more involved with in the macro is really just determining a side that I'll either trade more aggressive on or a side of the market that I may not trade on at all. And really that's prior to this call, you and I were talking about, you know, just things in general, just chatting. And I said, really my best trades this year are the ones that I've stayed away from because I know better, <laughs> right? I see what's going on <laughs> and I'm going, you know what? Uh, I have these macro themes that are going on. I'm looking at the technicals, going, you know what? I'm just going to stay away from this.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I think you bring up a great point, which is when I look back at all the years to my trading, the trades that I'm most grateful for were the ones that I didn't take, or you know, the ones that I was able to cut the drawdown on the quickest. I don't ever begrudge missing a big move. That whole idea of missing a big move—that's not been something that's hurt my career. It's What's probably made my career is being out of those moves that I had no business being in. So, yeah, that selection, that that sort of directional bias, as I like to call it, is for me huge. I mean, I think that having that bias every morning makes my life a whole lot simpler. I'm not looking for trades in either direction to trade equally. I might be, like you said, short, long, short, long, but I'm going to like one side of the market a whole lot better. And my sizing is going to is going to reflect that for sure.
0: Oh uh, yeah, you, you just nailed it, is exactly what I was going to follow up and say, is that really it helps me determine my position sizing, right? If a macro theme is coinciding with technicals, if I'm going against that trend and that macro theme, I'm going to be small or not at all. I always say big, small, or not at all. And when I know I want to be bigger is when I get that pullback uh, into a primary trend and the macro theme is supporting my reasoning to get into that market and I have a technical reason, well, that trade I'm going to trade a little bit more aggressively. And in Talking about this, let's let's have a little fun here. Let's talk about the macro themes that you're following this year that have been working with the technicals.
1: What markets? Gosh, you know, I think the only ones that are working for me really well are the ones attached to the interest rates continuing to weaken. So long bonds. Um, And then in a weird way, I'm also long dollar. So on one hand, I could say the macro is keeping me long bonds. But then oddly, I'm also very bullish the U.S. dollar. But that's for a different macro theme. Uh, That's for just the the immense amounts of global debt that's denominated in U.S. dollars and that we're nowhere near, even though we're printing like crazy, we're nowhere near satisfying that demand for dollars. So separate macro, but keeps me bullish the greenback. Uh, Looking at interest rates continue to fall. Uh, I like, I like long bonds. And then when long bonds start triggering, I start looking long construction and housing. So it's interesting how the dominoes for probably the first time in my career, and I've been trading actively since easily 88. uh, But for the first time in my career, I can't ever remember the macros being as widely ignored, or as selective as they've ever been. So I think a lot of macro traders that don't do what what you mentioned, what you and I do, which is just kind of gut check whether or not psychologically there's an impact to price. Because if we don't do that, if we don't have a checks and balances, okay, the macro is bearish, but the stock market isn't, then we're just diluting ourselves, right? So if we keep that checks and balances in there, and that's what the charts really do for me. They keep me honest and, and they keep me from falling in love with my own narrative.
0: Hey everybody, a quick pause here to talk about Footsie Russell. They are a leading global provider of benchmarks, analytics, and data solutions. The Russell 2000 Index is a key benchmark for small cap U.S. stocks. Be sure to check out the e-mini Russell 2000 Index Futures Contract, symbol R-T-Y. For more information on Footsie Russell and their products, please visit footsierussell.com. Yeah, I mean, I actually did an interview with Danielle DiMartino Booth not too long ago, and it was called the Macro Impact. And going back to what you were just talking about with basically lower for longer, right on the rates. So you're looking at the bond market as an opportunity to get long. So you're waiting for you know dips or however it is that you're you're trading that. Uh, and what you talked about with the debt and long the dollar. I think people overcomplicate this, right? I think that they, they they read all of these different macro headlines, and you can get so overwhelmed by all of the headlines and the tweets and all these things. It's it's just a theme, right, Rocky? I mean, it, it, you're not getting so in depth with these macro themes to where you know you're reading pages upon pages to to come to this outcome. It's just it's an overall theme, and then you
1: trade it exactly. And sometimes the theme is not in sync. With price, you know, I think if we were to, if you and I were to go through data point by data point, again on a rate of change basis, not levels, but you know, not whether or not it missed the forecast, but rather what's it been doing for the past eight quarters, what's it been doing for the past 12 months, that kind of thing. There's very little to like about the economy right now, and yet the one very, very obvious part of this narrative is, on one hand, there's a lot of optimism around the trade war. We've seen that since October of 20. 20- 19. And the Federal Reserve has been expanding that balance sheet since July, August. And you know, I think Stan Druckenmiller said it, don't don't worry about all those other breakdowns, just watch what the central banks are doing. And you know, another reason that I'm long dollar, for example, relatedly is, there's no way Christine Lagarde and the ECB can start hiking rates in Europe. And since the dollar and the euro have a negative or inverse correlated relationship, any bearish US dollar narrative has got to be accompanied by a bullish euro. And I think a lot of people would say long euro, no way. But then that means that you have to be long dollar. So uh, to your point, I, I I think it's so important to, to cross check it. And I don't know that there's ever been a time where widely the macro has been so so ignored. But Danielle Martino, wow, she is, yeah, she's amazing. I'm a huge, huge fan. That was a great podcast, by the way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to approach it with her and to say, what are you seeing that's actually having an impact? Because a lot of really good macro people, like her, like Ralph Powell, like a lot of guys out there, they are early, right? And and they're early because they could see these things happening, and the market maybe isn't recognizing them, rec- recognizing these things that they're talking about, and it may take years really uh for some of these things to to come into play and for traders for us the impacts are what matter most so that's why the next thing i want to talk about is let's look at a macro theme that you're looking at right now that is contradicting to your technicals
1: oh gosh we could probably have a whole podcast on that because it's almost everything you know so so there's no i look at uh, revenue i take a look at forward guidance i take a look at earnings and i can't even believe that when i look at a chart of the P or the nasdaq you know i you know we were talking before we we were doing the podcast here about boeing not selling a plane for six months and apple it's likely you know gonna miss their their next revenue forecast and yet the market just doesn't care. So in here, we have two heavily weighted stocks within our futures world, within our Dow futures with Boeing, within our Nasdaq and S and P futures with Apple. And, and yet it's almost like it doesn't matter. And, and right now it just really doesn't matter. So I think that almost everything, frighteningly enough, is being ignored because the largest. Macro factor is what is a central bank doing? What are central banks across the world doing? And and that's always been for me, going back to Stan Druckenmiller, uh, doing something that you know that Danielle DiMartino does so well, which is read the tea leaves of what these central bankers are doing, because almost everything else right now can just sit on the bench. It's just it's not going to help us at the moment. So we
0: talked about how you're trading long dollar and long bonds because mm-hmm. you see these. Macro themes coinciding with your technicals. So you're basically just trading one side of that market. Mm -hmm. Um, But the themes that are contradicting, you talked about like in the stock market, how are you trading those markets?
1: At the end of the day, and it's such sort of fortune cookie advice, but I think you're going to appreciate this. And I think the listeners will too, because we know this to be true. At some point, you just trade what you see. Because we know that while there might be competing narratives, both bullish or bearish in a market, the market can just choose to glom onto one of them, even though it might be in the minority, even though it may not have as much um, sort of size in terms of opinion macroeconomically as it should. like for example, if I'm looking at the dollar, you know I, th- I think that's a pretty easy in line with macro trade. you know, everything about currencies is going to be relatively speaking. And even though the central bank of the U S has been cutting rates. So has everybody, everybody else. So I think that relative performance or how is something performing relative to its peers in a sector or, or in the indices or whatnot, is super important because we could say, well, the dollar must be weak. And then we say, well, well, against what though, you know, what should the dollar be weaker against? And if we can't find something, the dollar then becomes the strongest just from a relative performance standpoint. So dollar's are a pretty easy one. Um, again, I think with stocks, though, with stock futures, we just have to trade what we see and accept that as long as we're in an election year and it's in, it's in the vested interest of the incumbent to keep the equities markets going higher, that's for any election year. And when you look at the goals, of the central bank, I mean, they are just juicing this market and so everything else falls to the wayside, and a price action is absolutely in line with those two narratives.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is another reason why I think that you and I aren't macro traders. We look at macro themes, but the technicals, they're right there in front of us. That They give us the opportunity to manage risk and they give us the opportunity to really focus on what's actually happening. I actually put this tweet out the other day where I said the more I would focus on what should be happening in the markets, that's really because of you know some macro themes or thoughts that I have on it. It took away my ability to focus on what was actually happening. Because if you just watch Twitter and the news and all these different things, you'd have all these different things going on in your mind. And when you go to trade, you're just going to be really screwed up. But if you're somebody who's... Purely following macro, how long could you even be in a trade with what we've seen (laughs) over the years? And this isn't the first time I've seen this, (laughs) I mean, right? I could go back and over the 20 years that I've been doing this, there's been many times where you know nothing matters until it does. And I know people hate that, but a lesson I learned, it was another tweet I actually put out the other day where it was that the market taught me that some things that I think should matter right now don't matter until they matter a lot. At a later time, when we probably least expect it.
1: You know, I think one way for I know for me, this I kind of compartmentalized all of this is if you're managing a portfolio, you know, we're traders, but of course, we're still managing portfolios of longer term holdings. So I think this is where time horizon is really important. So I've since the uh, third quarter of 2018, so I'm going back a little bit. But since the third quarter of 2018, long gold, long dollar, long bonds, long utilities, long long housing construction um you know real estate these have been the staple of a time horizon for me that's typically at minimum about a year and on the on the outer end about three to five so time horizon and macro i think definitely would be if a lot of trade a lot of traders out there are thinking oh my gosh i've got to understand these concepts i'd kind of say no i mean have a have at least a familiarity you don't have to be completely fluent but you know have a familiarity with them but if you're looking at managing a portfolio i think that's when for me that longer term narrative coupled with a longer term time frame and a longer term time horizon isn't it's no longer a choice but if i'm trading a 1 minute chart i can almost put blinders on and just you know take a look at that 1 minute price action i start wandering into a daily time frame where my time horizon might be 3 to 6 months I, I can't be as ignorant of the macro that might be affecting the market. But if I'm looking at a setup that might be maybe three weeks, I think I can be a lot more immune to it. So I think the commitment level of how long you think you're going to be in the position and the length of the time frame that you're trading probably does have a pretty strong parallel type relationship. So for traders on a one minute, I wouldn't say don't lose sleep. I would say don't lose sleep over it. You know, have a, as you said, be familiar, but then sort of get amnesia about it and just perhaps pick a side like I have with the long side of the, the futures on, on the stock side. you know. Yeah. So that's that to me, I think, makes it easier for people to make it a little bit more bite-sized and, and hopefully less intimidating.
0: Hey, everybody, I want to take a quick pause and talk about RJO Futures. They are a longstanding brokerage firm with personal broker relationships to learn, discuss, and trade the futures markets. To learn more about RJO Futures, please visit rjofutures.com. Yeah, I mean, it just comes down to if I have multiple confirmations on the technicals and they're just ignoring the macro themes, well, guess what? Position sizing, right? Maybe I'm not all in. Maybe I'm taking my size down a little bit. and I'm just executing with what I have in front of me, the information in front of me. Uh, And I Mm -hmm. am just aware of when all of a sudden these macro themes start to take place to maybe not get in front of that steam train right away. If all of a sudden everything starts to happen at once, because that's why I was talking about that tweet was that it's like nothing matters. And then all of a sudden everything matters all at once. And then it could be, and then the market becomes really sensitive to things to where just Uh, maybe even a day ago, it didn't even care about. And that's when a lot of times I think that traders just get really blown up because they're like, well, it didn't matter yesterday and here's support and now all of a sudden I'm gonna step in and buy. Well, I've done that so many times in the past where I'm, I'm always, I'd rather be late when all of a sudden I see these macro themes. It goes back to really my worst days were days where the market just went straight down or straight up is because all of a sudden everything started happening all at once?
1: You know, I think that when the market is selling off, we know that whether that be on the internet, whether that be on television, the market's just going to discuss all, all the negatives in the market. They're never going to say, you know, this might actually be a buying opportunity on a pullback, as we've seen in October with every single big daily price movement range sell off you know, in say the ES, the NQ, et cetera. So whatever the mood is, that that the conversation is going to reflect that mood and it just feeds on itself, right, to your point. But this there's also another thing that I've been doing a lot more as of late, especially on my shorter term timeframes, and that's been looking at historical volatility intraday. And so when I'm trying to find some clarity in that mood of the market, it's amazing how often the mood of the market shifts and you would think it'd just be the opposite, but it's amazing how often the mood of the market shifts after a particularly dramatic day where it's almost like the market gets, let's say, get out of its system, whether that be a big rally, whether it be a big sell-off and then we almost exhaust it. And then, the, and then the, just the opposite occurs. And I think that's, you know, if you take a look at the S and P, you know, for the listeners out there, if they take a look at the S and P on, on a big sell-off day, and, you know, I'm thinking about some of the ones that happened, um, at the end of January, uh, I'm thinking specifically uh, the, the sell-off that we saw uh, – what day was that? I'm trying to remember what we saw. But where we just completely sold off. The market thought this was the end. And then we've we been rallying ever since. And I think that was the very end of January. Yeah. That was the 31st. Yeah, it yeah. was the
0: last day of the month. And that's why even on this uh, – prior to you and I talking on the podcast today, we were talking about how – I was saying how February to me, the first few days of the month were just – Surprising to me. You know, I was looking at it going, okay, you probably can sell these rallies here a little bit, and they were just steamrolling through resistance. And I'm going, All right. <laughs> I guess the market doesn't care. I mean, it is what it is, right? It, you can't force your thoughts on it. And and that's why we look at technicals, because if I didn't have it, I remember I had a, a big level that I look at on my daily at 3275. I'm like, if it starts getting above it, I really just can't be short. And it just after, at the end of the month, it just got through it so quickly. I'm like, man, <laughs> okay. And, you know, and, and really just, it didn't get me into any good trades, but it sure did keep me away from getting run over. I can tell you that much.
1: Yeah, and I think this kind of goes back to our very first conversation those, those couple of years back where you, know, you go back to Charles Dow and you go back to Dow Theory and you go back to the fact that if you were to rewind the charts to, that time between, say, end of July to beginning of October, where I think most Dow practitioners would tell you, yeah, that was a distribution market on the daily time frame of the S&P, of the ES. And then within about, oh gosh, by the middle to end of October, in in a very conservative way, based on moving averages and a, a number of other things, we could have said, oh, wait a minute, this uptrend's back in gear it's back above say the 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 mean of the volume weighted average price on a standard deviation type measurement oh okay it's back above the in a more basic way it's back above the 13 exponential moving average it's back above the 55 you know whatever traders choose to use by the middle to end of october that uptrend was back on and then to your point sort of what we've been talking about this whole time um that accompanied well phase 1's a done deal you know it's just a matter of translation and uh you know boy did google translate take forever to get that done but you know ultimately uh we had an uptrend that that coincided you know corresponded with this narrative that the trade war phase 1 is done and i think we're still seeing that bullish structure even though it got wobbly at the end of january we're still seeing that bullish dow structure dominating psychology hence hence buy the stinking dip is still in many ways the battle cry
0: last question rocky before we get into A rapid fire segment is something that you and I haven't discussed on this show, but we've discussed in person before is really just mental and statistical edge. I talk about it a lot lately on this show because I believe that, look, it's great to have both. I think you need to have both in your trading, but I am someone who never really had a great statistical edge with my strategy, but I thought my mental edge was very good uh, because I was able to really take advantage of situations when i recognized that the market was giving me everything i wanted and i made more money in moments and in moments when the market wasn't giving me anything i i, I that i thought should be happening or could be happening i gave the market very little and, and that's really how i've made money over my career as a trader uh i'm just wondering what do you what are your thoughts on mental edge and statistical edge
1: i love it so you know i probably underestimated this for most of my career going about 10 years back in the last book that i wrote where i talked quite a bit about a statistical edge being something as simple and yet as overlooked as historical volatility you know looking back six months and looking at what the typical price movement range was for any symbol that i was trading even down as granularly to you know, what does it typically do between 9 and 10 a.m. Eastern every day? Or what does it do on a Monday in terms of price movement range versus a Friday? And I've been using that kind of data in Forex for about five years and, you know, I've been looking at that data totally for about 10. And so when you talk about mental statistical edge, you know, for me, that's coming by way of understanding price based volume, not time. That's understanding historical volatility to project where it's very likely support and resistance can be. And that actually in many ways can exist apart from traditional technical analysis. So I've been the last few years, even kind of subconsciously sort of moving away from, as I sometimes joke, the squiggles and and looking at something as a pit trader would, I, I think, You know, a lot of pit traders would resonate with this. How many folks are interested at a particular price? Not whether or not it was a high or a low for the day, but how many folks committed to a certain price that sometimes, as you know, is completely invisible or ignored on a typical price chart. So that statistical edge, having that data now, for me, I feel like I'm seeing things that most traders aren't seeing, looking at charts in a more technically um, traditional way. And, and for me that's kind of where, like I said, this is such an interesting time you and I are speaking. That's for me where I'm where I'm heading. And I, I guess I have been subconsciously for years and I'm just more consciously committing to the fact that a certain exponential moving average may not be the answer. But a volume weighted average price, again looking at price and volume, not price and time, has been really a confidence booster for me
0: yeah I think Tom Dante said it best on Twitter. If you're not working on your edge, somebody else is uh and <laughs> it, and you know, I just look at it as for me, I'm always working on that i you and i were we're homework people right' <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. I'm always looking for ways to get better. Always, Uh, and that's really the great part about trading is our journey as traders is we're always working on that. Uh, And I think working on both mental and statistical edge is something that you always have to be working on both. I think that you can't alienate one or the other. Uh, I think that it's always a combo of of the two, especially if you're discretionary traders like us who are point and click. And Rocky, this is great stuff, but we are not done yet. I have rapid fire questions next if you're ready for those. Let's do it. All right, everybody. Our Rapid Fire segment is sponsored by Trading Technologies. Trade the global markets with TT. They are the world's fastest commercially available futures trading platform. Now with integrated tools for advanced options trading, cryptocurrencies, and trade surveillance. You can try it now for free at tryttnow.com. Now, Ragi, you and I did the rapid fire that I do in in most of my shows and our other episodes, so everybody can go and check that out and and read that uh, on our website. So today I wanted to change it up a little bit. We talked a lot about macro and technical and and technicals and and so I wanted to go through, I'm gonna go through six or seven markets and just have you tell me bullish, bearish or neutral and just give us uh, some reasoning behind them. Let's start off with the
1: Russell. Hmm. Okay. So if I look at the Russell right now, relative to the Dow, S&P and NASDAQ, I'm the most neutral on it. I don't want to be short, but it's not the one that I'm going to be rushing into buy. And, and that has to do with the weighting. Um, I think if you look at domestic small caps as compared to the resiliency we've seen in tech, and the Russell just is not going to get as much capital. You know, I'm not going to put as much capital to work in that right now.
0: E-mini S&P.
1: Oh, gosh. So even the S&P to me is really going to be uh, attached to that NASDAQ narrative again because of waiting. So I kind of consider the S&P the dog that the NASDAQ takes for a walk. And as long as financials and healthcare aren't dominating the narrative, um, I'm long. You know, every pullback, I talked about the pullback earlier on the 31st, you know, um, you know, I got me and my my trading crew. We got long into that. Um, in fact, we had been buying. The NAS and the S&P as early back as the 27th of January. So I'll keep buying those pullbacks. NASDAQ. Oh, gosh, that's my favorite. Uh, you know, NASDAQ, for me, has been validating not only being long the S&P, um, being long the NAS itself, of course, but even being long names in cloud computing, semiconductors, um, communications. So that actually triggers a number of ETFs that I'm also very bullish on, even discretionary. So you love that NASDAQ. It's a big part of my kind of three to six month portfolio right now as well. U.S. dollar. Oh, love the dollar. You know, as long as we've got the kind of debt we're seeing, uh, every now and then if I go do a Forex talk, somebody asks me, what about, you know, this currency that's going to replace the dollar as a reserve currency? And I said, don't hold your breath. So at the end of the day, The debt that's held globally is denominated in dollars. There's no way the ECB is going to be able to hike rates. And that just tells me, you know, you keep buying dollars on those pullbacks. I mean, one of the most gorgeous we had was the 31st again of of, of January. And, um, you know, be short euro, be long dollars. Yen. The yen. I love the yen as a day trader. This kind of takes us back to that other conversation. I start my morning around 8 a.m. looking at what kind of mood the yen is in. And if the yen is not... The first or second strongest or weakest currency, I know that I might be in for a kind of a shaky a shaky day um, for me yen strength is something that i've been buying into, but not against the dollar um, This is where currency traders, especially on the forex side, have a little bit more latitude, but i've been mostly long yen short Aussie uh, and that's been one of my favorites and and also long yen short New Zealand dollar
0: thirty year bonds,
1: oh gosh, the bonds are still the largest position. I have in the portfolios that I manage. It's also one of my favorite trading futures contracts. And and that has been straight up by the dip. And, you know, for traders out there saying, okay, Rog, what is your idea of a dip? Go take a look at the 30-year bond contract. Go take a look at the price action specifically on the sixth of February. And and that's to me just that pitch sailing across the plate and the one that I want to take a whack at.
0: Last one which we didn't really touch on today with all the different macro themes and stuff that we were talking about is gold.
1: Oh, love gold. I'm Indian, so it's like almost illegal for me to not be <laughs> bullish on gold. My mom my mom would be so disappointed. She'd wonder where she went <laughs> wrong. Uh you know, for for me gold gold is a currency and I'll trade it the same way that I would trade any currency and I think long gold, long bond, long stocks makes a lot of folks their their, their brain sort of you know unhinged for a second because we think that to be long gold and bonds is to be short the equities markets and we just know that's not true. It's a it's a dated and very archaic correlation that doesn't really have any relevance in the real world. So I don't mind being long gold while I'm long the Nasdaq. It's been working great. So um uh, gold is going to be still a market that, yes, it's going to probably sell off some days at the equities markets are, are strong, but generally speaking, you know, wait for those pullbacks in gold and uh, my favorite kind of pullback is going to be pulling back into that zone between the 21 exponential and the 34, and then looking for that volume, you know, looking for that price based volume.
0: Roggie, what can I say? It's always a blast to speak with you. Where can people find you on Twitter and give us a website to check out?
1: You got it. So, Twitter and, and everything else is at Roggie Horner, my first and last name. And then I, my hangout, my, my main uh, hangout is uh, I do a chat room every day over at SimplerFutures.com. And, and that's where um, you know, I spend most of my time these days.
0: Rocky, you are fantastic. You're a great friend. And I always appreciate you taking the time to speak with me on Futures Radio Show. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: It is always my pleasure. Thank you so much, Anthony.
0: Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you enjoyed the show please leave a review on iTunes. You can listen to all of our episodes on futuresradioshow.com, iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher.